Okay. I was uh, listening to John Lennox give his, his talk a few minutes ago, and he made the statement at the end when he was teaching uh, or, or telling a story. He said, uh, I was lecturing a room of atomic physicists. I will never say that sentence. <laughs> um, I love the diversity in the body of Christ, and uh, uh, it, it was funny, just, just recently, maybe two weeks ago, I was speaking to a, a, an athlete in, in the U.S., and he, he was thanking me for some of my teachings, and he says, you know what I love about it is, is that you keep it so simple for us. And I told him, well, I don't really have an option. <laughs> it's, it's just this uh, polar opposite of what you just heard is, uh, is about what you're about to get. Um, and, and he is going to be hitting more of the apologetic side of uh, this, this track, whereas they've asked me to speak about evangelism today. And as I was thinking through how do I talk about this, how do I get started in it, I, I thought I would just share my journey with you a little bit because some of you have no idea about my life, and, and, and yet at the same time, I feel like there are certain things I learned about evangelism through this journey. Um, my, my mother actually uh, died while she gave birth to me, um, so that's, that's an amazing legacy for me to know that my mother gave her life uh, so that I could be on this earth, and for some reason, God wanted me here. Um, my, my dad remarried, and then when I was about eight years old, my stepmother died in a car accident. Um, and then uh, my dad got remarried again, um, and then when I was about 12, he died of cancer. Um, so by the time I'm 12 years old, I have had two mothers die. My, my father died, and, and when I was in high school, my, my aunt and uncle, whom I were, was close to, my, my uncle actually murdered my aunt and then, and then uh, killed himself. And so it was a life that was filled with just sudden deaths. You know, lots of things, which, which gets you thinking, what is this all about? And it was during that time that in high school, I was invited to a youth ministry, um, to a, a high school group, and the youth pastor explained the gospel in a way that I understood it. I'd gone to church before, I grew up going to church, but I never understood the basics of Christianity. I didn't understand what the cross was about, I just didn't get it at all. And this man explained it to me, taught me about the Lord. He met with me every week for four years, um, discipled me. I, I owe everything to him. But Christianity was very simple to me at that time. I would read the scriptures on my own, which I thank God that he taught me how to do that. And the first thing you need to do is start reading this book. And just I started reading it and started applying it, just doing whatever the scriptures taught I, I read Revelation, I read Revelation 20 about this lake of fire that the, the beast and the false prophet and the devil were thrown into to be tormented day and night forever and ever, and anyone whose name was not found in the, in the book of life was thrown in this lake of fire. I, I, got, I got terrified. I, I would read about uh, what Jesus would say in, in Matthew 13 about this, this type of torment. I would read about Matthew 25, where the sheep and goat judgment, where those would go away to this eternal punishment and others to eternal life. I, I would read the story of, of Lazarus and the rich man, and the rich man just going, oh, would someone just dip their finger in some water and, and, and touch my tongue with it? And, and all these thoughts, I, I started thinking about all of my friends. 
friends in high school going, I, I, don't, I can't let them go there. I can't have this for them. And, and back in that day, I mean, this is 30 years ago, um, you know, we weren't questioning the existence of hell like we do today. We just read the scriptures and we thought, wow, you know, God, he, he killed everyone on the earth once with a flood. That's pretty radical. That's pretty extreme. We'd read about him killing the firstborn of every child in Egypt and go, wow, that's pretty extreme. You, you would read about uh, the, you know, the book of Revelation all through scripture. You would look at his wrath and then you would look at the gospel itself and him sending his son to die on the cross for us. And all of these things were so, uh, in a way, burdensome to me. Um, especially because I had so many friends who didn't believe in Jesus. So I, the natural thing for me to do was just to start talking to everyone in my school. Everyone in my public school, I started a Bible study on campus, first one to ever do that because I was terrified for my friends. I'd walk down the hallways, you know, in the locker halls. We, I don't know what schools are like here, but you have these locker halls where everyone keeps their books, and I would just walk through and just see the sea of people, and I would think about their destiny based upon what I read in Scripture, and my heart would just sink. i go, I love these people. I've got to say something to them. And I used to, I, I, I would cut class to tell people about Jesus. Um, it's, it's fine if you're Asian, you know, you're still going <laughs> to... What are you going to do, get a B, you know? So, so you go, and uh, this, was, uh, this, is, this was my life, though. I remember my youth pastor on Wednesdays when we had Bible study at our church, he used to pick me up in the church bus um, because I would bring so many of my friends to Bible study with. One night, I brought over 50 friends to my youth group. I mean, this is because I'm going, I can't let them go there. This is killing me. I'm the guy that, that my junior year, we, we get these yearbooks. Do you guys do yearbooks? You know, where you got the pictures of everyone. My junior year, I remember looking at all the seniors that were about to graduate, and I thought, I'm never going to see these guys again. So I began calling every senior I knew one at a time, and just saying, look, I know this is going to be the craziest phone call you maybe ever will receive, but I got to tell you about something that changed in my life, and I'm concerned. I, I, I don't, you know, and I began to tell them about Jesus. I'm the guy who, when I started college, you know, at a secular college, I, I took speech class just so for the only reason that I could get in front of the class and lay out the gospel to everyone. <laughs> I'm serious. I ran for office. Why? So I could get in front of everyone and lay out the gospel. I ran for senior body, you know, senior class president. So I could give a speech at, at, at graduation. I mean, all I cared about was these people and loving them and thinking they don't know the love of Jesus. They don't know how to be forgiven. They're going to face this holy God at any moment. Man, my parents died so suddenly. This could happen to my friends, and I'm not going to say anything to them. I've got to do something. I've got to do something. I've got to do something. So, man, I was all about getting the gospel out. Man, I would share with my bosses at work, share with neighbors, share with anyone I ran into. Very, very passionate about evangelism. Then I started working in a church. <laughs> and um, 
Yeah, you, you know where it goes from there. I, I mean, it's just, it, it, and I love the church, and I am committed to the church, and I will serve the church till the day I die, but I'm also going to be realistic about the fact that, you know what, in many ways I was more passionate about Jesus before getting deeply involved in the church. I was far more evangelistic until I started hanging around with church people. Um, and slowly, my passion for evangelism and my weeping for the loss just came to a standstill. Um, then I went to Bible college. Okay, now that was the first time I'd ever been in a Christian school where you're just surrounded by other believers. And I remember just not even knowing what to do with myself. Like, who do I talk to? All these guys, you know, and I remember I used to, I remember one Saturday after hearing a lecture on Friday from one of my Old Testament professors, and I, I, it was out of the book of, uh, of Amos, I believe it was chapter 6, when he said, woe to those who are complacent, and, and, and it went on and on, and I'm going, gosh, I'm getting complacent, and I remember all my friends, you know, we're going to the beach, and I thought, no. I, I got to do something. I got to share the gospel. And I remember just getting in my car and driving into downtown Los Angeles and just walking around the streets, talking to anyone who would listen to me, you know, just, just guys that were laying in the gutter and, and trying to get the gospel to them. And, and you know, but it was such a fight um, because I was so strange. It was just this weird, why would you do that? Man, this is a time where we get educated. And, and if that didn't kill me, then I went to seminary. Okay, if, you, if people don't share their go, the, the gospel in college, man, seminary, it's like never. I mean, you just don't have time for it, first of all. But then now you're, you're sitting around with a bunch of other people just studying some of these finer points in theology, which I am all for. But there's another side of you that gets deadened when you just talk to people about these issues and you lose touch with the rest of the world and you start telling seminarian jokes. And, and it, you know, it's just like, it was just this strange thing that by the time you graduate, you, you start going, I don't even know how to talk to my next door neighbor anymore. And then, uh, then I planted a church um, and the church began to grow. And, I, but I, always okay it just it's just something i got when i read this book it never sat well with me that i wasn't just telling people unbelievers about jesus i could preach about him but as far as personal evangelism it became less and less and less and i remember going to the pastor of the largest church in town and i asked him i go hey i go you ever feel guilty for like not just talking to people about Jesus? And he said, no. I'm like, really? Like your neighbors or the guy down the street or just passing by someone and you think, man, he's headed for an eternity apart from God and you don't say anything, you don't feel guilty? He goes, no. He goes, that's not really my job. That's the people in the congregation. That's what they should be doing. I just shepherd them. And I thought, Oh, I like that. Okay, I'm going to go with that. You know, because I don't want to share my faith. I don't want to be rejected. There are times where I don't, I don't even know how to start the conversation. 
And especially, I know the culture here is very similar to where I live in San Francisco, where they don't want to hear about Jesus and about moral absolutes. And so who wants to start that conversation anyways? Man, and so when he said, no, I don't feel guilty, because I'm like, you know what, I'm going to follow you. I like that. Why? Because in my heart, I didn't want to share my faith. And this is what's destroying the church. Because what happens is pastors start thinking, well, that's not really my job. And what do all the people in the congregation say? Well, that's not really my job. That's your job, right? And so then pretty soon, you've got people at the church going, man, why don't you come to work with me and share the gospel to, my, you know, to the people I work with? And it's, no one wants to do it. Because we don't like being rejected. This is easy. Get in front of a peop, you know, people who believe like you do and just sharing your thoughts and are, you know, let's amen. Oh, yeah, we believe. But to, to get in front of people who don't believe and don't want to hear what you have to say and be willing to be rejected, who wants to do that? And so what started happening in my life was I was very good at preaching the gospel, but not very good at sharing the gospel with individuals. And I think that's a real danger that happens in the church. And uh, I've talked to so many people who just say, you know, it's just this system that we're in. It gets us less and less bold about sharing our faith the longer we're a part of the church, which is supposed to be the opposite, right? Everything you read in scripture was they would gather together to stir one another up, it was to, to give courage, to encourage one another, to, to, to say, no, I know you don't want to go share your gospel. You, you, you can do it. Let's lay hands on him and give him courage. That's what you see in the New Testament. You see Peter and John escaping prison, and, and everyone lays hands on them, and they start praying for greater courage. You have Paul you know, telling the Ephesians, pray for me, pray for me, so that I can preach the gospel boldly like I ought Please, I need this, I need this. You know, Paul's telling Timothy, come on, God didn't give you that spirit of fear. You're courageous, you have this power. But that's not really what's happening in our circles. Um, most people lose their courage in the church. I, I know for myself, um, I, I get this feeling of inadequacy a lot of times. Um, like, I don't know enough. You ever feel that way? Like, I just don't know enough. Especially those of you who've gone to Bible college and seminary and you listen to these professors who are just so far beyond you. I mean, for some, most of us. Um, and you just go, gosh, I'm, I, I don't know enough. I don't know enough. And then we as leaders start feeling as we compare ourselves to some of these theologians going, I don't know enough. I don't know enough. And if we feel that way, how do we think our people feel? And so it's this plot of Satan to get us all feeling like we don't have the power, we don't have the skills, we can't share our faith. And, um, and so we, we, we change our, our methodology. I, okay, I, I, was a, I was at this conference very early on after I planted my church, it started to grow, and so this nationally known pastor, I went to his conference, and he was talking about his, his Christmas um, musical outreach that they do, big Christmas production, and he talked about how he had hundreds of people in his church that would come to the church for months 
working 10, 15 hours a week as volunteers preparing for this Christmas musical. You know, dancing, singing, and everything else. And he talked about the budget that went hundreds of thousands of dollars going to this production. And people would come, visitors would come, unbelievers would come. And it was a good thing. And I'm listening going, wow, that's great. What a great event. But then afterward, I went up to him and I said, hey, you know, I love what you did. I think that's wonderful. But you had all of these people come and they spent... 10, 15 hours a week at the church building rehearsing for this musical. I said, if they had spent that same 10 or 15 hours a week getting to know their neighbors, having dinner with their neighbors, and sharing the gospel with their neighbors, wouldn't it have done a lot more than that musical? And it would have been free. (laughs) And his answer was this. He says, Well, yeah, of course. He goes, but people aren't willing to do that. And back then I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. So, but now I'm going, wait, that's stupid. Like, wait, we can't just change the system. We can't tell people, okay, that scares you. So let me do something that won't scare you. See how we lower the bar? It's like, okay, you won't go get to know your neighbor, but you'll dress up like a reindeer and sing, you know, let's... We'll do that then. Let's do that. Whereas, is that what you see in this book? No, it was people gathering up the courage, taking courage and saying, you know what? This scares me to death. But this is what we as followers of Jesus Christ do as we go and we proclaim the gospel. I mean, Christ came back from the dead and said, all authority has been given to me. Now, now go. Go make disciples of all the nations. Start baptizing them. Teach. This was the great command, was to go. And this is why he's given us this spirit. Because that would give us power to be his witnesses, right? In Acts 1.8. And yet we will come up with every excuse not to do it. And I'm just saying, I get it. I'm with you. And it's hard. It's difficult. And you start looking at your own life and you start going, well, if I don't do it, how can I ask my people to do this? And it just becomes this ongoing circle. And so then we just sit in our church meetings with our church staffs and talk about programs, talk about services, talk about anything other than us actually going out and just looking at another human being in the eye and having a conversation with him trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit and trusting in the power of the gospel itself, that there's power in the words of God. And it's going to take a miracle for anyone to believe. And so we go out in that type of faith, that type of courage. Um, Again, let me just make sure you understand. It is true that seminary, those were the worst years of my life. Um, If I could relive three years of my life, it would have been my three years in seminary, hands down, worst years of my life. Um, uh, Not because I was being educated and not because I don't believe in education. I believe we should be studying the scriptures vigorously. Um, The problem was we were studying so much we had no time to apply it, and that's a very dangerous uh, habit to, uh, um, to develop in your own life where I can study the word and not do anything about it very, very dangerous, led me to a ton of sin in my life. Most hypocritical period in my life was seminary. Um, It was so bad that I had to stand in front of my youth group 
200 high school students and step down from my ministry in front of all of my elders and say, look, I'm not who you think I am. Tell all these students, this is not, you, I don't know what I've become. This is who I never wanted to be. 22 years old and stepped out of ministry for a little bit, just waited tables. Um, started working at a Mexican restaurant. Um, but something great did happen during that time as I was waiting tables. I fell in love with the other waiters and waitresses that I was working with. And I remember coming home one night and just bawling my eyes out with the thought of them being separated from God. I mean, just crying hysterically. And I thought, wow, I haven't cried in years over this. This brings me back to before I was a pastor, before I got into paid ministry. And at that point, I told God, I, I, don't, I don't ever want to work in the church again. It, 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 it's, it's robbing me. There's, there's something when you're expected to do something, and it's your job to do something rather than when you just love someone. And I, I remember just praying that night, God, you can't let Lori go to hell. You can't let Harmon go to hell. You can't let Ron go to hell. I'm going to live the godliest life possible, you know, because you answer the prayers of a righteous man. I want to live such a righteous life because you've got to save these people. I love them. I love them. And I'm crying, oh, God, please save them. Man, man, Paul talks about this in, in, in Romans 9 when he talks about this anguish, this, this unceasing sorrow that he has. Where, where in Romans 9, he says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He, he goes, I have this anguish, an unceasing anguish. And I was feeling it. I felt it in high school. I felt it in junior college. I took a break for a few years in Bible college and seminary. But then when I started waiting tables again, it's like, oh, it's back. This anguish, this pain, this hurt. I mean, when's the last time you literally wept for the lost? We, we, we just get busy doing other things to where we don't feel this anymore. And I get it. Sometimes you just think, man, I, a few years ago I wrote a book about hell. That's the last thing I wanted to write about. But in order to refute some of this teaching nowadays that said a loving God would never do this, using human reasoning rather than the scriptures... I just had to write this book, but it was, it was awful. I didn't want to believe in it. I'm thinking, you know what, I'm going to research this again because I've gone back on some of the things I've believed, you know, some of the things I was brought up with. I'm the first to say, I don't believe that anymore. And when it came to the topic of hell, I go, wow, maybe there isn't one. That would be awesome. You know, that was the mindset with which I started reading the scriptures again. And I'm going, I don't see how you can get this. This is all about wrath. There's more about wrath than there is about love and grace. This is, there's some scary things that Jesus said, terrifying things. And we can argue about the eternality of this or that, but ultimately there's, there's somewhere. And it is awful. And, uh, and, and I, I don't know. I just, worst, worst day of my life was when my grandmother died. And she was a Buddhist, and I remember just trying to 
share my faith with her, right? You know, as, as she was already brain dead, but I was too scared to lay out the gospel to her before, and I remember just crying and trying to share in the best Chinese I could, you know, in her ear, just, you know, trying to lay out the gospel and begging God, but then, you know, those are the times when you just want to toss this in the trash, to be honest. It's like, well, I don't want to believe that she's somewhere else. I don't want to believe that. But my logic wouldn't allow me to do that. And I had experienced too much of God, so I get that we don't want to think about it. And that's why we don't have this unceasing anguish and great sorrow in our hearts. We don't want to go there. It's too painful. But Paul, that, that passage always, uh, I always struggled with Romans 9 because Paul talks about how he could wish that he could be accursed for their sake. And I always thought, no way. That, like, I mean, I love people, but I'm not going to trade places with them. I mean, would you? Would you be willing to be cut off from Christ? For the sake of someone else, I, I, I can't, I, I don't know. I, I just go, God, I, I'm not there. I don't know if I'll ever be there to love like that. And so my first thought is like, I don't think he really meant that. And I, and I, I, I you know, so I studied it, looked at it in the Greek, and the same as English pretty much. You know, it's just like, <laughs> wow, he really meant that. But then you just go, I can't believe anyone could love like that. And then I realized that's why he starts off the chapter the way he does. He goes, I'm not lying. You know, I'm like, no, you are. You know, but that's the way he starts the chapter. He goes, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit because everything in us is going, there's no way. No one loves like that. And he goes, no, I'm telling you the truth. The Holy Spirit bears witness. This is how bad it is for me. He goes, I have this unceasing anguish. I live with this. I live with it every day. It doesn't stop. It haunts me. And then when you look at his life, you start reading like 2 Corinthians 11 with all the beatings and imprisonments and the shipwreck and the starving and the floggings and the stonings. And you go, gosh, I think he really did believe this way and think this way and feel this way and love this way, have this unceasing anguish in his heart when he looked at people, and my concern is in the church, I'm not seeing that. Amongst pastors, I'm not seeing that. So how in the world is it going to be amongst our people? I... Uh, those are no. I, I planted a church, and I was a pastor there for 16 over 16 years. Saw this little group of 20 people grow to about 5,000. Um, we planted like seven or eight other churches. We started a Bible college. We're sending people everywhere. But I just remember one day looking at my staff. We had a large staff, probably 60, 70 people at one point, and I thought, what do they do all week? I mean, we pay these guys. I'm like, what do we do? And how many people hear the gospel on a weekly basis because of our ministry? 
Like how many times has the gospel come out of a person? Because this was the time when people started lifting me up and going, oh man, Francis Chan is leading one of the fastest growing churches in our nation. Thousands of people are coming. Look at this thing. You know, he just wrote a book. You know, it's a bestseller. Oh, look at this. Look at what's happening. I'm going, wait a second. I think we're failing here. I've got 4,000 people. We're spending about $4 million a year. And how many people are hearing the gospel on a weekly basis? How many of those 4,000 people are actually speaking the gospel to an unbeliever during the week? Because that's what this is about. And I started realizing now that everyone thinks I'm successful, this is actually a time when I'm actually failing. I mean, when I had 200 people and we grew to 2,000, that's success. Those 200 people led 10 of their friends or whatever to the Lord. That's a wonderful thing. I mean, if I'm a salesman, I deserve a promotion, right? My group of 200 salespeople each made 10 sales, and we're at 2,000. And then when I had 2,000 people, you know, maybe they each made a sale or so, and we got to 4,000. But now I've got 4,000 salesmen and spending $4 million a year. That's a big budget. And how many people are hearing the gospel now? 10, 15 a week, maybe? That's what we call failure in the business world, you know? And yet in the Christian world, we'll celebrate it and write articles about it and put you on a magazine. And I'm going, no, I, I, something's off here. Something's really off. In fact, this structure doesn't even allow us to grow anymore. We, we, we can't fit anyone else. And so now I have these people that just gather every week to hear the gospel from me again and again and again and again. And to hear from me, and the missional focus was just gone. And yet this is when everyone wants to hear you speak. And I'm going, no, this, this isn't right. This, <laughs> something is so off here, and we've got to make some changes. Um, again, let me reemphasize, I've committed my life to serving the church. I'm not a parachurch guy, I'm a church guy. I love the church, and I believe I'll be serving and teaching the church until I die, and making disciples in the church until I die, but I believe we need to be honest about the state of the church, and I believe it's too late to just tweak a couple of things and change a little bit here, change a little bit there. It's, it's, it's time for uh, an overhaul. It's time for something to change. Um, I don't believe I'm rebellious. I believe I'm the norm. Um, I believe most people think this way. And that's why, you know, I don't know what it's like here, but in the States, once you turn 18, you're out of the church. You're done with it. You know, once you're no longer forced to go there, um, you know, all the stats say the kids that grow up, once they turn 18, about 70% of them leave the church. Uh, They're not interested anymore. They didn't see the real thing. Um, I think part of the reason is the way we're doing things doesn't make sense. Those who argue for the existence of hell live least like it exists. And 
we preach about this death to life experience, like that Ezekiel 36 pile of dry bones that suddenly comes to life. We're talking about we were once dead in our trespasses and sins, but now the Spirit of God actually entered into our bodies and we're these new creations, and the world looks on and goes, but you're no different. This doesn't make sense. You say you believe in this, and then you don't tell anyone about the existence of this place, and then you say that you've gone from death to life, but I'm looking at your lifestyle, and it's no different, and people are growing up in this, and they're going, I don't, I don't believe it. I don't get it. I, I was talking to a Muslim just, just uh, last week, you know, just, just start a conversation with him and, and, and started sharing, and, and he, at, by the end of it, he goes, okay, you know what? Honestly, I grew up in the church. He goes, but growing up in the church, I realized this can't be it. This can't be it. So that's why I began to search for other things. It's not like I wanted to leave my faith. It's just that, man, I grew up in this. And you hear this all of the time. If you're out sharing your faith, you hear this all of the time. I grew up in the church. I've been there. I've done that. I didn't see anything. And at first you can go, well, what's your problem? What's this? this?" You're just blinded by the world. And, And yeah, yeah, maybe they are. But, but let me ask you a question. Try to think. Imagine right now, if you were not a Christian, okay? Just try to imagine that right now. You're not a Christian. None of you believe in Jesus, okay? Let's just say there's, there's a room full of atheists right now. Just picture yourself. You don't believe in God. In your head, say it. I don't believe in I mean, don't say it. That's, you, you know what I'm saying, okay? Just try. I know it's really hard because some of us have known the Lord so long and we can't imagine not knowing him. But just try to imagine it for a second. Imagine that, okay, I don't know what to believe. I don't know what to believe. And maybe you're searching. And in your mind, you're thinking, you know what? Maybe there is a God. I, I just want to find truth. Are you picturing yourself doing that? I just want to find truth. Where would you go? Would you go to the Christian church? I don't think I would. That's a reputation. I seriously probably would go to Islam first. I go, at least they're willing to die for it. You know, they'll blow themselves up for this belief. What is it? Maybe I'd go to some Eastern teaching where there just seems to be like this peace about them and a tolerance. But what I really think the Christian church, I mean, when you think the Christian church, you just think hypocrisy. You think, I've been to one of those services before. I I, I walk in there, maybe some of them are better than others, and there's a more entertaining speaker or a better band. But does that really draw you to God? I mean, if you were an unbeliever, what would you want when you walked in a room? What would you want to see? Wouldn't you want to see the man up front, whoever was up front, like where, where he, you just saw, man, that guy talks to God. That guy knows God in a way that I don't. He talks about the way God listens to his prayers. He doesn't listen to me like that. I want what that guy has. You don't care if he's got this slick presentation. You don't care if there's a cool little dance team or a great little drama at first. Anyone can do that. You're searching for God, and you're going, man, does that person have that? Does he really believe it? You look around in the group. 
Man, see, this is why people are leaving the church. They read the scriptures and they look at that early church and they go, man, no one claimed that any of his stuff was his own. There was this love amongst this group of people. There was this tremendous love. That was Jesus' prayer, right? God, make them one in John 17. Why? So that the world would believe that you sent me. Would you really go to the Christian church because of its unity? You would just go, man, they can't even get along with each other. They just come up with a new denomination every week. And ever else, how many of these churches are splitting and fighting about this and that? Is that really what would attract you? Is that where you would go? I'm just saying, I, I wouldn't do it. And I don't think I'm just odd. I really believe I'm the norm. And this is why people are leaving the church in droves. And good news is I believe that this could change. And I believe in what Jesus says, that he was going to build his church and the gates of hell wouldn't stand against it. And the good news is this does happen in other parts of the world. You know, I mean, we left America for a little bit and I went to Asia because I thought, man, I've always heard about the underground church in China. I want to see it. And I was blown away. And I go, wow, that looks just like what I read about. It finally makes sense. Then I went to India. And I spoke at a conference for the persecuted church, people who had lost their lives, or no, they had not lost their lives, their, their relatives. They watched their relatives die, people that were missing limbs, people with scars on their body, beaten for their faith. And I'm, I, I was so blown away that I asked the leader, because after a, a week there, I'm going, it seems like everyone's serious about God here. Where are the casual ones? There's got to be. And he, he says, well, actually, there aren't. He goes, that doesn't make sense in this region. Why would you casually become a Christian? You lose everything. You lose your job, you lose your home, you get ostracized from your village. Look at all these people. They had to flee into the the jungles for their lives. Why would you casually do that? I thought, wow. Man, when I was at the underground church in China, okay, they, they, they said it's a little dangerous. You know, this one, this is where they're training some of the missionaries. And so I didn't take my whole family. I just took my oldest daughter because she's the most expendable. And uh, so we go and, um, you know, firstborn. And so we go and, man, I wish I, wish I could transport you there. I wish you could have just walked into this environment and listened to the way they prayed. Listen to the way they sought after God. Listen to their testimonies. They start talking about different times when the police came after them because they were, you know, gunshots. And they're just talking about, not in the solemn way, but with joy. Like, man, it was awesome. They were firing us and we're running, you know. And, and, and I'm just wanting to hear more and more and more. And they finally asked me a question. They're like, why are you so interested in this? And I said, because this is not the way it is in America. And they're like, really? I go, in America, we have these buildings called churches. And, and we actually just attend there for like an hour, hour and a half a week. And, and we switch. Like if there's a better speaker at a different one, we'll go to that one. And if there's better music at another one, we'll go to that one. If we get in a fight with someone, we'll switch to this one. If the child care is better. And these people just start laughing. Not like giggling, but like hysterically. And I wasn't trying to be funny. 
I was just explaining why it was so intriguing to me. I go, this is, but they were literally laughing to the where, my, my daughter, when we left, she was, uh, I don't know, what, 16 or so, 14. Um, she says to me, Dad, that was weird. I go, I know. She goes, did you see the way they were laughing and you weren't even being funny? I go, exactly. But they thought it was comical because they're going, how did you get that from this? How, how did you get there? And you start realizing that the majority of the world, well, you know, for me in the States, going, man, they're actually, they actually find what I call, or we call their Christianity, laughable because the lack of congruency from this book, because we keep changing things. Oh, you don't want to share your faith? You know, dress up like Santa. Sing a song. Can you do so? You're not, you're not scared of that? Do that. In fact, let me cater to you. What kind of church would you like? How long do you want the services to be? Okay, you want, you want, you want support groups where everyone's exactly like you? Okay, so anyone in their 30s that enjoys mountain bike riding, we'll do a group for you. Is, is that cool? Now will you come? Hey, what about if, if we don't, we'll just, that's not really sin. We'll let, we'll let more of the sins go. Come on, divorces, it's not that big. A, let's just keep making it easier and easier so we get the customers in the door. And people around the world are going, what are you guys even doing over there? And I just realized, you know what? I, I can't go down this road anymore. This is stuff that I've thought ever since I was a kid. I remember when I first started reading this book, and I would look around the church I was a part of and think, is everyone okay with this? Because I see something different in this book. But everyone seemed to be okay, so I'm like, well, maybe I'm off. Maybe I'm the weird one. But it never let me go. And then when I remember when I turned 40, like seven years ago, I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to say it. Uh, why, why am I holding this back? I'm 40. I'm practically dead. Let's just, you know, you, know, you just think, man, how long are you going to live? And so I just go, I'm going to stand before God. I just got to say everything that's on my heart. And I start laying out. I go, have you guys ever wondered if we're just missing it? And you saw, I, I, was, I was in front of like 30,000 college students, and they're all like, and I go, I knew it. I knew I wasn't the only one. You read this book and you see something different about Christianity, something different about church. They're like, and sometimes you just wonder, or have we become like the church in Laodicea where it's this lukewarm thing that God's just going to spit out of his mouth? And, you, uh, and now I'm just at a point where I'm going, I, I can't do it anymore. I can't do it anymore. I, ever since I first started reading that book, I knew my responsibility to go out and love people to the point where I would weep for them and lay out the gospel and be rejected for it. Um, I just want to be a part of a body. I don't care how big it is, but where the people are the real thing and they'll actually give the shirt off their back for me. And I know when I turn around, they're not talking behind my back grading my sermon but they love me and they don't actually care about the stuff on this earth because they really believe in this treasure in heaven they're not going to question existence when difficult things happen because they just realize you know what anyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted 
I just felt like the church became like a bunch of soldiers that, that were running into battle and then running back to the general going, oh, they're shooting at me. It's like, what did you expect? This is a war. This wasn't going to be comfortable. This is a fight, and I believe that this is what the Lord is calling the church back to. But it starts with us. It starts with us saying, you know what? I want that. I got to have that. Um, the difficult thing is that you start talking that way and thinking that way and trying to build your church that way. It's not necessarily the best church growth strategy. And they'll start going to the church down the road that says, man, just come and sit down and we'll take care of everything. We'll disciple your kids for you. We'll win your friends to the Lord. You, I don't want you to have to lift a finger. And yet I just look in scripture and go, that was never Christ's intention for the church. And, but I'm hopeful because I see a younger generation rising up and most of them are leaving the church, but there's another pocket of them that are saying, no, we're gonna go after the real thing. We're going after the real thing. The other thing that's really encouraging, because I see heads nodding, was for a while it was just the youth. But lately there's this different trend, which I love. There are these 50-somethings that have gone through the whole entertainment church system. And they found it lacking. And they're going, I want something else. And they even tell me, Francis, why do you just speak to college students? We need this too. We want this too. We're not satisfied with it either. Maybe we were for a little while. We thought, wow, that's cool. We can entertain at church. But now we want God back. Like we, we, want it, we want the 100% real thing where we're in awe experiencing him and not just a good service. And there's more and more of that happening. It gets me excited about this shift that's happening that we're getting forced into. I don't know about you, but I, I, I just, I dream of walking into a gathering one day where there's tremendous love like I never witnessed before. See, I had thousands of people coming to a gathering to hear me speak, but they did not love each other. And when I started my church, I didn't really care. I didn't, I, I didn't think about that. I just wanted to fill up the room. I just wanted to preach the gospel. I just wanted to lay it out. And, and so you never thought about them needing to love one another, yet that is our apologetic. That was supposed to be what convinced the world. Let me three minutes, okay, and then we'll take a break because I know I've gone long, but I'm, I just want to get to, I actually have notes. Um, <laughs> I usually just kind of ramble, but every once in a while I go, okay, this is good. But I just, I want to walk into a gathering where the guy who's praying up front actually looked like he was praying to someone. Rather than just closing our eyes and going, oh, Lord, thank you for this day. What a, what a great group of guys. You know, you're talking to a holy God. What an honor to come into his presence. Man, what if someone searching walked in? Don't you just want to see, you know, wouldn't you want to see someone that's just connected to him? Can our churches get there where we're loving each other, where the person up front is actually praying to someone, talking like he's speaking to a holy God, where the, where the leader was not just a great speaker, but he was someone that knew Jesus deeply and, and would cause others to envy that, 
where, where the people actually hungered for holiness, confessing and repenting, not, not just trying to relieve guilt or see how much guilt they can, how much sin they can get away with and still go to heaven, but where the people longed for holiness, where, where the people actually were on a mission to share the gospel and believe that they wanted to get this message to the ends of the earth. Everyone felt that, and they had a compassion for the poor like Jesus spoke about where people were clearly alone with God during the week, where you walk into a gathering, you knew everyone in there had some serious time alone with God this week, and now they're coming together to celebrate. Where people believed they received gifts from the Spirit that enabled them to build the other people up, that they were given spiritual manifestations for the common good, and they walked in going, man, who can I serve today? Who can I build up today? Man, I'd love to be a part of that. I'd love to be a part of a church where there's just some sign of something supernatural going on. And a statement I heard not too long ago was someone just said, you know, that's the problem in today's church. It's neither super nor natural. Um, it's, it's uh, I don't see anything unusual in it. And the parts that, uh, and so much is just forced and timed and manipulated and and where, where is this sense of awe of I just gathered with a craziest group of people that are filled with something that I have never seen before? I believe it can happen, and that's what I'm pursuing. And the great thing is I, I believe I'm finally starting to experience that and have peace and have peace and go, gosh, this feels like Scripture. But that's what...